We are amidst a pandemic. Its victims will not only be the sick, but also those who will lose their livelihood as the economy shuts down to contain the further spread of the disease. A body of research, including those published in the Journal of Health and Social Behavior, notes that after old age and pre-existing health conditions, low socioeconomic status acts as a top variable that could determine your susceptibility to epidemics. In the context of the ongoing pandemic, available data suggests that COVID-19 can be about twice as deadly for those in society's lower rungs. At this critical moment, governments around the world are struggling to find ways to ensure both economic security and safety. Our guests today are researchers who are tracking how South Korea is confronting this challenge. For policymakers and leaders of corporations in the United States, Seoul's economic response, alongside those of European states, are sure to have some relevant policy lessons for their own response. With no further delay, from the Korea Economic Institute, I'm your host, Yang Kwan, social distancing in Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Korean Context. We have with us today two fellows from the Korea Economic Institute, Senior Director Troy Stangerone and Director Kyle Ferrier. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having us. Amidst all the bad news in the world today, South Korea, at the very least, appears to be rounding the corner with the worst of the COVID-19 cases. But they now face a serious economic challenge ahead. Troy, what is the best estimation for what South Korea may be confronting in the months ahead? Is this comparable to what the country faced perhaps during the 2008 financial crisis? This is the great challenge I think that we face. There's an extreme amount of uncertainty, not just within each domestic economy, but also globally. And as a country that is highly integrated into the global economy, South Korea is very dependent upon not just what's happening domestically in terms of getting coronavirus cases under control, but also how it is spreading overseas and impacting trade and economic growth more broadly. And so when we think about this, we should probably really think of it in sort of two senses. One is the initial supply shock that we saw when the virus was first propagating through China, and South Korea was unable to gain access to key parts from suppliers in China, specifically the auto industry, which saw declines in production of about 27% because of this in the months of March. But also when you think about this now that it has spread overseas, we're really talking about not just simply South Korea's access to parts, but what is the demand for goods and services abroad? And so when we think about it that way, you have not just China, who's still struggling to kind of really get back on its feet, but also in the United States, where we had new job figures or unemployment figures come out today. And you had 6.6 million jobs lost, which is now in two weeks, almost 10 million. You have the situation in Europe to where you're also seeing significant shutdowns of major economies. There's an expectation that GDP in both the Eurozone and the United States could decline by 10% or more. And so that's going to really impact as we go forward in April and May. And we're already seeing it to a degree in the March numbers. South Korea's exports to two of its three largest trading partners. But the real challenge, I think, at this point is, is that we're still all trying to grasp how long the coronavirus will spread overseas. 
and how deep the economic contractions will actually be in the end. In the United States, we tend to use the Great Depression of the 1930s and the 2008 crisis as benchmarks for how bad the situation might be. Kyle, you wrote about South Korea's past financial crises and what the South Koreans have learned from them. What is the benchmark that the South Korean citizens use to measure how bad the situation is? Are there any historical memories that they look back on? Well, first, thanks, Jong, for having Troy and I on. Amid all this social distancing, really grateful to have you organize this. So really, the equivalent for South Korea, though, is the IMF crisis, what we would call it the Asian financial crisis in 97, 98. And I think we're kind of a long way from that, even though Troy has painted a fairly bleak picture for us. If you look back at the figures from 1997, 1998, Korea was really hit hardest in 98 in terms of GDP, which contracted by about 5%. And that sort of followed a few years of 8 to 10% growth, really high growth for Korea. So there's really big drop. But this year, we kind of have a little bit of a different picture uh, in terms of GDP. So right now, a lot of major credit agencies have Korea contracting by about half a percent. But Troy and I were talking this morning, and some organizations like Nomura have uh, South Korea contracting by 6%. So it could be on the scale of what we had in the Asian financial crisis. But I think that there's a lot of mitigating factors that would make this far from a Asian financial crisis. Really, it's because what the South Korean government has learned in the years since 97, 98, and the government has really built up a lot of resiliencies to help weather the next financial storm. So we look back in the IMF crisis, South Korea took on 58 billion from the IMF in 97, And it was at that time that South Korea had about $64 billion in short-term external debt compared to its $9 billion in usable foreign reserves. South Korea today has over $400 billion of usable reserves, and it has a litany of credit facility options to access in the case of a new financial crisis. So I don't think that it would be fair for Koreans to compare this necessarily to the IMF crisis, the 97-98 crisis. The impact of what this could potentially be seems like it's still very far off from what it was in the past. Well, let's talk a little bit more about those mitigating factors. We have seen the South Korean government move quite rapidly to address potential short to medium term risks in the recent weeks. A significant fiscal stimulus was allocated and the South Korean government has established an emergency economic council to speed through decision making on these rescue packages. Troy, in addition to some of the preparations that the South Korean government made on the monetary side, as Kyle just mentioned, could you tell us in greater detail what the South Korean government's direct actions have been on the fiscal side? When we look at what South Korea is doing domestically, there have been a couple of stimulus efforts. Both are primarily directed at dealing with, one, the costs of on the healthcare side to ensure that you have the funds in place necessary. And to a large extent, South Korea is covering the cost of the coronavirus testing for those who test positive. There was an initial package of about 10 billion U.S. dollars that was designed to take and really try to funnel a good amount of money to SMEs to try and help those companies that also are going to be most likely to be affected by the crisis, but also most unable to take and deal with the consequences. Because when we look at where the crisis is tending to hit, 
we've seen data that um, there's been a significant decline in people going to restaurants in South Korea. You have also then the tourist places, you have movie theaters and all of these places that are service industries that either domestically South Koreans would frequent or tourists would frequent are all being hit directly. And while the Chaebol often have large amounts of cash reserve, access to credit, the SMEs aren't in that same position. And so they were going to be the first businesses that would likely go under without government support. So the government has tried to take and really kind of buttress these types of industries to protect them from the impacts of the crisis. But I think also briefly to go back to what Kyle was saying in terms of sort of thinking through how all of this is going to play out. And this, I think, gets into sort of the types of steps South Korea will need to take going forward is one of the reference points that people have looked at a lot have been either, say, for example, how SARS impacted Hong Kong or a couple other places. I myself have looked in terms of tourism, how MERS impacted South Korea. Kiev has a report out discussing how H1N1 impacted U.S. exports and imports. We've all been looking at these prior sort of pandemics, but this one has grown much farther. It's had deeper impacts on a larger number of economies. Kyle talked about that you had sort of a year-long crisis almost in South Korea through the Asian financial crisis. And the question is, is will we have a V-shaped recovery to where there's going to be a deep drop-off, but then a quick bounce back once we have a vaccine or the virus is under control? Or will the knock-on effects of this be so significant that it leads to decreased consumption around the world for an extended period of time? And that does that decreased consumption also then turn into eventually a financial crisis as well? which makes the downturn deeper and longer in the long run. Right now, Korea has done a very good job of sort of buttressing things for the moment. But when we look, for example, at the airline industry, there's probably going to need to be significant amounts of money pumped in beyond the initial amount of loans of about $300 million that the South Korean government put forward. So I think part of the challenge here is the question of whether, even if this is deeper, it follows the pattern of prior virus outbreaks or it becomes something more entrenched in terms of an economic decline. So assuming that this becomes a more entrenched issue worldwide, both on the demand side where South Korea loses customers abroad because countries are under quarantine and they're not consuming South Korean products, and also because of continued supply shocks that South Korea is facing from suppliers from China not being able to deliver intermediate goods, let's just say this is a unprecedented economic concern. To both you, Kyle, and Troy, what are some measures that you feel as though South Korea needs to do going forward? What are some of the measures that you feel are absolutely necessary for the South Korean government to implement perhaps this week or next month or within the near future? One advantage South Korea has is by setting up this economic council, they have put themselves in a position to quickly pivot to doing the types of things they'll need to do as the crisis evolves. We've seen the Ministry of Finance has already put forward another about 7 or $8 billion package to provide assistance. And so I think, one, the Korean government is going to have to try and remain sort of quick on its feet as it sees the gaps open. Specific areas where I think there's going to need to be more support, we're going to need to see more effort put into protecting the airline industry. Right now, international air traffic to South Korea has largely stopped. More than 150 countries have placed some type of restriction or warning on travel to South Korea. 
The initial estimates for a moderate type crisis were about $4.5 billion lost in terms of air revenue. The amount of loans South Korea's put forward is going to be significantly inadequate for that. So we're going to need to see significant support to try and protect the airline industry. But beyond the airline industry, I think at some point we're going to have to start seeing more money put into basically health mitigation at the firms. We're starting to see indications that Samsung has had problems potentially keeping its factories open. These are going to be key in terms of providing inputs into the broader market. For the moment, I think Samsung can handle the issue of having people become ill and also taking and then sort of scrubbing the areas. But if the factories have to shut down, those have significant economic effects, especially because it could take up to a week to restart, say, for example, a semiconductor plant. And so I think the government may need to start looking into trying to help ensure that these sort of key factories are able to stay in place and keep running, because that'll be critical to keeping the supply chains going forward elsewhere, which will also help South Korean companies. But beyond that, I think one of the things that the government's going to have to look into is right now, a lot of the aid is in terms of loans. But if this goes on for an extended period of time, you're going to have a situation to where essentially companies will start taking on too much debt. And if you don't have customers, even when things start becoming normal, it'll be difficult to get commercial loans because of the amount of debt you have. So I think at some point, we're going to have to start looking into direct stimulus for both SMEs and potentially maybe later down the line, chables rather than extending loans. And the last thing I'd say is there is this debate in South Korea about the question of whether individuals should be receiving cash directly. Right now, we're seeing, if you look around the world, the United States is going to send out stimulus checks to individuals. Some European countries are taking and directly paying the wages of workers who would have to normally be laid off rather than have them be laid off. So I think at some point, South Korea may have to consider whether it provides direct stimulus to its population as opposed to the businesses themselves, or whether it takes and essentially goes to businesses and says, listen, don't lay people off. We will cover 70, 80% of the salaries for you. I'll just follow up on Troy's last point. I think it's really important to acknowledge that there are not just challenges on the corporate side, but there are challenges on the personal household side. Something that really hasn't come up as much yet in the news is the issue of the household debt that South Korea has. And I think that's something that we should all be watching too. Last year, household debt was about 94% of GDP, which is the seventh highest in the world. But the kicker here is that the countries that are ahead of South Korea, Switzerland, Austria, Australia, Denmark, the Netherlands, Norway, and Canada, all have traditionally spent a lot more on social safety nets. And so South Korea hasn't really spent as much. I know the Moon government has been doing a lot more to rectify that, but still they lag behind efforts to provide basic income to individuals in South Korea who are going to be impacted by the coronavirus, especially those that are in the lower income brackets will really help to prevent this huge pile of debt that the South Koreans have from exploding and really making the, the crisis all that much worse, even though they may not be as directly exposed to the global forces that the table are. Speaking of global forces, I think the other area where the Korean government needs to really step up its efforts is on international cooperation. As Troy was mentioning earlier, how the coronavirus plays out outside of Korea will have a major impact on, on the Korean economy. And Korea 
on the monetary side at least, is pretty well situated to face this crisis. I know I mentioned that they've they built up a lot of resiliencies, you know, that they have 400 billion in currency reserves, which are really now augmented by FEMA facility, by the Fed. FEMA stands for FIMA, the Foreign and International Monetary Authorities. It gives them an outlet through which they can take their reserves and swap them for dollar short-term maturities from the Fed, essentially giving them an opportunity to have access to short-term liquidity without needing to sell off their dollars. And if you look back in 2008, South Korea, to support the won, it had to spend 60-some-odd billion dollars in order to support the won, which won't need to do now. Where the crisis is really going to hit is in these other areas, in these other developing countries, as well as emerging markets who are really struggling for access to dollars right now to service their debts. So what is really needed for South Korea is not only to be concerned about itself, but working with other countries to help stem the tide of the contagion from the coronavirus. So working through the G20, through the IMF to increase SDR access, the World Bank to help extend short-term loans to especially to emerging markets who are probably going to be hit among the hardest. So there's really a lot that South Korea can do right now in a position of relative strength. And again, I emphasize relative. I think they're going to be hit just as hard, maybe even harder than some others, but I think they're, they're able to cope with it. But it's really only going to mean so much if the rest of the world continues to struggle with adapting to and tackling the, the coronavirus. There is one other aspect of this, you know, when Kyle talks about the developing markets, I think Korea can play a sort of a unique role in dealing with this crisis, which is that has one of the countries who's handled this crisis better, who's hopefully, you know, recovering domestically in terms of getting the virus under control. We're starting to see Korea reach out to countries to provide medical supplies, assistance. And I think increasing that and trying to really help stem the crisis, there's a moral cause for that in terms of trying to protect people's health around the world and it not just being about South Koreans. But there's also an economic interest that South Korea has in that the more it can do to try and take and mitigate this crisis overseas by helping countries get the supplies they need or get the correct advice they need, better it helps South Korea in the long run as well, I think. I'd completely agree. Troy and Kyle, some of the things that you mentioned, some of the vulnerabilities you mentioned are not necessarily, of course, bad things. South Korea's high dependency on global trade, the openness of its financial systems in normal times are not necessarily negative things, but have played to become some vulnerabilities when the world is facing a serious crunch like we're going through right now. Are there other fundamental vulnerabilities that South Korea faces that you see that needs to be addressed? I think you already mentioned, Kyle, the problem of household debts, but are there other structural challenges that South Korea has that will be exacerbated by the current crisis? Kyle has mentioned the scope that Korea has to conduct fiscal stimulus because it's got one fairly low, relatively speaking, debt to GDP ratio, but also because the social safety nets are you know, fairly thin. And you know, he noted that the Moon administration has tried to improve those. The Park and Hay administration before also took steps to try and improve retirement insurance. But right now, South Korea is growing in terms of its demographics significantly older. It's one of the most rapidly aging countries in the world. You're going to have a situation to where the cost for healthcare, the cost for pensions are going to go up significantly over the next two decades. And at the same time, right now, this crisis is not only impacting the economy, but it's really going to sort of 
impact how Korea is able to manage these challenges going forward. You need to spend now to take and address the challenge. But in terms of structurally speaking, in a country that has the highest level of old age poverty, that has this rapid aging crisis, there really needs to be a lot of structural shifts towards trying to deal with these challenges. And those at a minimum will probably be delayed a couple of years because of this crisis, if not made more difficult by the challenges we're going to see now. Um, Troy mentioned the V-shape recovery earlier, and I think all these factors are going to impact Korea on in terms of the shape of the recovery. Is it going to be a sharp incline? Will they go back to where they were before? Or are these other factors really going to help or hinder South Korea from being able to get back to where it once was? And I think that's where we're really going to see this. The interdependence is going to play a major factor on the way down. And then these other factors are going to play a major role on the way up. And something else that I'd like just to add to Troy was talking about demography. Another area I'd like to touch on is labor productivity. And this is something that South Korea has struggled with a lot in recent years, um, and it, labor productivity has been falling over the past few decades. So in terms of real e- economic output per labor hour, that grew around 2.3% in the 2010s, and then in 2000s, it was 4.7%, and in the 1990s, it was 6%. So you see this steadily declining in Korea. This is not just a uniquely Korea problem, but it's definitely impacting Korea more so than other countries. There's also challenges with how this relates to Moon's policies of trying to increase the minimum wage, which is being done at a much higher rate than labor productivity growth. So there's these challenges that lie ahead that really could slow Korea's recovery from the financial crisis that would arise from the coronavirus. Now, much has been made about South Korea's handling of the immediate health crisis. A lot of news articles have pointed out rightly that the United States and South Korea reported their first cases of COVID-19 on the same day. And yet South Korea appears to have had greater success in terms of curbing the rate of growth of new cases than the United States. Now, the United States is also, similar to South Korea, going to face a significant economic challenge. Troy, you mentioned earlier that the unemployment claims in the United States have increased by 10 million people. The economies of South Korea and the United States are, of course, very different. However, I'd like to point this question to both of you. Are there any lessons that U.S. policymakers can learn from South Korea at this time? At this time of heightened partisanship, I would like to point out that tackling epidemics, pandemics are a bipartisan issue and should be a bipartisan issue. I know Trump has come under a lot of fire for being accused of throwing away the playbook left to him by the Obama White House, but as as successful as Moon has been, he couldn't have been this successful without learning from the mistakes of his predecessor, Park Geun-hye, and how she handled the MERS epidemic in Korea. So the lessons learned from the previous administration really, really helped in being in South Korea and being able to tackle this virus so effectively, including uh, efforts to build online resources to help track the spread of the virus, figuring out ways in which to better structure the country's health infrastructure really helped Moon come into this crisis being able to handle the situation a lot better. We're seeing to a degree the United States already learned a bit from South Korea. We're starting to adopt the drive-through testing centers, which were an innovation from South Korea that they used to try and quickly test people, but in a relatively safe environment for the medical professionals. Part of this is all about how do you take and prevent the 
healthcare system from being overwhelmed, like we've seen has been the case in Italy, try and be able to take and save as many lives as possible. There has been some uptick in terms of looking at things South Korea has done. That being said, the spread of the virus in the United States is too dispersed to, I think at this point, really maybe learn much from South Korea's ability to sort of track, be transparent, and contain those who have been affected to try and, you know, really limit it to their immediate circle and not spread more widely. So I'm not quite sure that, you know, the South Korean effort, because largely many of the cases in South Korea were in Daegu, they were tied to a specific church. The city itself was largely locked down, though not to the extent that we've seen in some other places of the world. But they were able to find out who remembers the church, who they'd interacted with, and really keep this contained. You're still seeing some flare-ups in different parts of Korea, but they did a good job. And I think because of the dispersal right now in the U.S., it's really difficult for us to learn from that aspect of it. The one thing, and I mentioned this earlier, referencing what some European countries are doing, but I think both South Korea and the United States could probably maybe learn some both good and bad lessons from what's going on in Europe, too, in terms of, one, why you need to try and really move aggressively to contain this, but also how you manage the economic side. You know, if we're going to have a V-shaped recovery, that really means you need to take and be able to protect employment. Yes, U.S. companies will be able to call back many of the workers they've laid off, but that's going to be, I think, easier if we had actually followed and South Korea in the end, if unemployment becomes a major issue there, follows the European model of basically rather than taking and using the unemployment system to cover the cost, really just directly paying the wages for the workers. So that way, in essence, if you decide we're opening up next week, everybody just comes back. And so I think, you know, there are lessons to be learned, not just from South Korea, but from Europe. And I'm sure in the end, you know, if you look at the United States, you know, one thing that I think that the administration should get credit for is they have not been afraid to ask for bold stimulus packages. I remember during the global financial crisis that there was this sort of taboo of the idea of the economic stimulus being a trillion dollars, that it had to stay below a trillion dollars because that was just too much of a number to comprehend using. We recently passed a $2 trillion stimulus package, and we're already talking about maybe needing another of equivalent or larger value. There are lessons that we can all learn. And this gets back to Kyle's point earlier about one of the challenges that we've had is the lack of international coordination. If we had more national coordination, not just in terms of the distribution of medical supplies, getting them to where they need to go, but in terms of basically governments agreeing, one, to not restrict trade anymore, at least than it already is, to try and make sure things move smoothly, but also coordinating their stimulus and sort of a broader agreement on the types of stimulus that we need. The UN recently came out and said that basically they think that there needs to be global stimulus equivalent to about 10% of uh, global GDP. That's a very significant amount. But to get there, we're not going to probably get there with an ad hoc process of the U.S. doing a little bit here or a lot here, and Korea doing some and Japan doing some. There really needs to be, I think, more coordination and commitment by the major countries in the world to really try and do this well. And so I do think there are lessons from different countries, but we're just not bringing all those lessons together very well. That's it for our episode today. Many thanks to Troy Stangaron, Kyle Ferrier, and to you listeners for tuning in. One takeaway that appears consistent in both Troy and Kyle's analysis is that economic security and public health are not trade-offs. Governments of post-industrial societies 
have billions if not trillions of dollars to provide modest economic comforts for its citizens. Remarks that people in either South Korea or the United States must sacrifice their health in order for the economy to return to normalcy are said either in ignorance or should be interpreted as a bold-faced admission that they are not sufficiently confident in their government's ability to bring the epidemic under control. You can find links to Troy and Kyle's recent articles on South Korea's response to the economic fallout of the pandemic in the description of this episode. Please also consider watching our recent event video on the state of human rights in North Korea. Ambassador Robert King and Committee for Human Rights in North Korea Executive Director Greg Scarlatu note how human rights violations in the country, like mass detention and information repression, will compromise public health in the face of COVID-19. You can find the link to the video in the description of this episode. We'll be back next week with more analysis and commentary. Until then, wear a mask and keep up the hand washing. See you then.